So what's going on, everybody? Um, <laughs> any interesting conversations lately? Uh, what you been talking about? I can tell you one thing you haven't been talking about in the last seven days. Nobody's been talking about the spectacular sermon that you heard last week about how important it is for us to gather as a community for worship. We, um, we record our messages for the weekend on Thursday nights. And last Thursday night, when we recorded that message, we were still planning to meet on Sunday morning. And within 24 hours, the plan had completely changed. But that was the only sermon we had. So we simultaneously decided that we would show that message and at the same time, we decided that we were going to interrupt that entire series about the importance of gathering together for worship until we could, like, actually gather together for worship, maybe? And what we decided to do instead was spend three weeks together in this series that we're calling Pardon the Interruption so we can think about what it means for us to be Jesus people and for us to be Jesus church in this moment that has been completely interrupted by the events of the last several weeks. We want to think about what it looks like for us to follow Jesus well in this season. And so as I've been thinking about um, this season, the verse actually that keeps coming back to my mind over and over again is probably maybe the one of the most famous, one of the simplest verses in the entire scripture, but to me, into most foundational, and that's John chapter 316, where it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There's a bunch of things in that verse that have grounded me as I've thought about the circumstances, the changing world that we're living in. The, the first thing that strikes me with that verse is that it begins with God, that it reminds me that the beginning and the middle and the end of everything we experience is always the saving presence of God, that God is present. And God is present and active. The second thing the verse says is that God so loved That God's posture to us always in every circumstance is to lean in in love. That God responds to the crisis of every crisis of our world. All of the ways in which our world and our lives and our spirits and our hearts don't align with God's beautiful vision for creation. God always responds in exactly the same way. He leans, God leans in with love. And in particular, he leans in by sending his son, Jesus, who came to enter into our reality, to participate with us in it, to empathize with us through it, and to rescue us from it. That's what God has always been doing. The other thing that strikes me is that the verse says, for those who are prepared in faith to receive God's saving, loving, rescuing activity, they would not perish. Not that I'm saying this verse promises that nobody's going to catch COVID-19 or that everybody who does will survive or anything like that. What the verse reminds me of is that death in every form is opposite to who God is in God's very being, the God who is life, and that what God does in response to every part of our life always is to lean in in love, to join us in the midst of what 
we are living through for, so that his saving, rescuing love can fight against the power of death in everything and, and the power of life can flow. That's, that's who we need God to be in these times. But here's the thing. Simultaneously, that's who God needs us to be in these times. See, we've, we've gotten to live with the illusion because of our privilege, and I use that word intentionally. We've gotten to live with the illusion that our lives are stable and secure and in control. And it's at moments like this that the curtain gets ripped back and we realize that our lives are as unstable as any other human lives in history. This is the first time any of us have ever experienced a series of events like this, but this is not the first time the church has experienced events like this. As early as 150 years after Jesus lived, there was an epidemic that exploded throughout the Roman Empire. It may have been the first occurrence of smallpox in human history. Um, in the course of 15 years, one-third of the Roman Empire died. Just think about that. What if, imagine what it would be like for the next decade and a half, over 10 million Canadians died from COVID-19. That's that was what they were dealing with then. The way the Romans responded, they were terrified, of course. They panicked. They, had, they lacked the hope and the resources to deal with uh, an epidemic like this that they'd never experienced before. And what they did was they abandoned their sick. They threw them into the streets. They left people for dead. They left their dead unburied. Those who had enough wealth and privilege literally fled to the hills. They left for 15 years until it was safe to come back. They, they simply abandoned each other to protect themselves. What the church did was the exact opposite. In that moment, the church leaned in in love. It nursed the sick. It cared for the dying. It fought for a cure. It buried the dead. It did all of the things that it could do to prevent the, the further spread of the disease. And historians say that it was as the result of the church's behavior in those moments that actually contributed to the, um, the meteoric growth of the church in the early centuries of Christian history. From 100 people a month after Jesus dies to becoming the national religion of the Roman Empire 400 years later. That it was when people saw what the church was like that everything changed. Came across a quote recently. It was from Martin Luther writing in the midst of a plague in Europe in the 1500s. And he, Martin Luther, it, he writes this letter called Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And he writes about how he personally plans to respond and he writes this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us because, of course, everything begins and travels through and goes back to God. That's where it begins. And then he says this, then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. Luther says, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to do the things that I can do. I'm going to control what I can control so as to not contribute to the lack of well-being in others. That's what I think it looks like, the first thing it looks like for us to lean in in love in this season, 
It's in a reactive way for us to control what we can control so that we're not responsible for the infection and deaths of other people. See, COVID-19 is serious, but it's not mysterious. On the one hand, it's serious, and, and it bothers me, especially as somebody who has healthcare workers in the family, it bothers me to hear people speak about it as though it isn't. When, when people say, it's only the flu, it is a flu. And the Spanish flu 100 years ago killed 50 million people around the world. Flus are deadly. Which is another thing that sometimes people say, well, they say, well, people die every year because of the flu. They do. But wouldn't it be better if nobody died because of the flu? And if our behaviors could limit the number of people who died because of the flu, wouldn't that be preferable? Or people will say, well, it's not going to affect me. I'm young. I'm healthy. Aside from the fact that young people are being hospitalized around the world with COVID-19 and some are dying, um, it's an incredibly self-centered way to think about it. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't prioritize your own life ahead of somebody else's or out of vain conceit. Don't, don't think of yourself. Don't act out of your own sense of invincibility. Rather, he says, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Paul says, why don't we prioritize the well-being of people who aren't us? The vulnerable, the sick, the immunocompromised, healthcare workers, people on the front lines of fighting this thing. Why don't we, the elderly, why don't we think about how this will affect others and behave accordingly? It's serious, but it's not mysterious. There are some very simple things that we can control, our own behaviors, that can actually effectively stop the spread of this disease. I saw an effective video, very brief, that shows just how powerful some of these simple steps can be. Take a look at this. The point of the video is that if we take the simple steps that are being recommended right now, we can actually stop the spread of COVID-19. Wash your hands often for 20 seconds at a time. Sing the ABC song as you wash. And when you're done the song, you're done washing. Or the Lord's Prayer takes about 20 minutes to recite. Why not pray and wash at the same time? We'll post a video of a proper hand washing technique. But let's wash our hands to kill the virus the way we care. Um, let's cough into our elbows, not onto our hands, and then touch other things. Let's um, not just wash our hands, by the way. Let's bleach surfaces in our homes to kill the disease. But let's, let's be clean. Let's stop touching our face like I do a hundred times a minute. I think my face is magnetic. And my hands are iron. I can't stop touching my face. But stop eating with your hands because this is how the, the disease is ingested and spreads. If you have to leave your house... Stay two meters away from every other human being you come across. Um, but more significantly, don't leave your house. We're under a federal and a provincial stay-at-home order, which means that if it's not necessary or essential or an emergency, there's no reason to leave your house. I'm, I'm hearing stories about people throwing house parties, people going away to the cottage for the weekend. 300,000 students went to spring break in Florida. This is how people get sick and die. Let's take this seriously 
but control the behaviors we can control so that we aren't contributing to other people's sickness, so that we're stopping the spread. That, I think, the first way that we lean into love and we fight for life is by reactively controlling the things that we can control. But that's not all. Martin Luther goes on, he says this. He says, but if my neighbor needs me, I will not avoid place or person, but will go freely, as stated above. He says, I'm, I'm going to do my part to make sure nobody else gets sick because of me. But if somebody needs me, I'm going to go. And this is the thing. The needs that we have as a community and as a society right now are growing rapidly. There are actually two major events happening simultaneously. The first is a global pandemic like we haven't seen in 100 years. The second is an economic crisis that is already beginning to build. And we need to be with and for each other in the way that we walk through these two events in the, in the coming season. Um, economically, we need to support each other, which at the end, end, end of the day means, at the very least, no hoarding. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist says this, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. The posture of Christ-like love is to give of what I have to people who need, not to take what other people need and to keep it for myself. That, that's what the hoarding behavior that you're seeing is all born out of privilege, right? It, it can only be done if you have uh, disposable income, extra time, you're not having to work three jobs to make ends meet, you have access to transportation, you have a physical ability to move 70 rolls of toilet paper into your home. It, they are all acts of privilege that further marginalize marginalized people who don't share that privilege. If you work three jobs, you can't hoard. And so what is happening is people are stealing from folks who don't have as much privilege and further marginalizing people who are already in trouble. We're, we're not going to be those people, except maybe with Diet Coke. That might be okay. What we're going to be is the picture that the church, uh, that's painted of the church in Acts chapter 2, where it says, all the believers were in it together, and they held everything in common. They didn't think in terms of personal possessions. Whatever they had as a group was shared with the group. They actually sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And two chapters later, it says there wasn't anybody that had need because everyone was taken care of. This pandemic is going to affect some people in our midst economically in an incredibly significant way. Many of us. But some of us will be less affected. And if you're in the less affected category, this is a sell property and possessions kind of moment. We need to ask ourselves, those of us who are in that category, who do we know that's not getting paid right now? Small business owners who've had to shutter because of the stay-at-home order, retail workers who have lost their jobs, contract workers, people who cut hair and who teach piano and who clean homes and what are the paint houses, what are the contracts that aren't going to be fulfilled right now and so people aren't getting paid. And those of us who can need to be asking ourselves the question, how can we who have support those who don't? How can we pay for those contracts even though our kids aren't going to piano lessons? How can we, how can we order takeout so that restaurants can pay their employees? What can we do to help support the people who aren't being supported right now. 
in addition, there are people who owe things who aren't going to be able to pay them, mortgages and rent and car payments. And if you're in the category, if you hold somebody's debt, what can you do to give them relief right now? If you have resources at your disposal, how can you step in and support somebody else who is having trouble supporting themselves right now? The, the point is this, it's time for us to get creative and practical when it comes to our shared finances as a community to ask how can we can lean in with love to give of ourselves to support each other through the season. But it's not just economically, it's relationally, it's emotionally, it's psychologically. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes this, God comforts us in all of our troubles. See, it always begins with God. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Whatever comfort you receive from God, you've received to pass on to somebody else. So who needs comfort in your world right now? Who um, is living with loneliness? Right, Seniors in seniors' homes or patients in the hospital who can receive no visitors, people who are single and self-isolating at home alone. Who are the folks in your world who need people around them? Um, we, we call it social distancing. It's actually physical distancing we need. Social bonding is what we need to commit to. We need to be in each other's lives as much as we humanly can right now. Um, who's struggling with anxiety in your world? We're going to talk about anxiety specifically next week, but who is afraid because of how out of control the world feels right now? And how can you be a presence of hope to them? How can you be a source of laughter for them? How can you be an ongoing source of prayer with them and for them? Who has practical needs right now? Who can't get to the grocery store? Who can't get to the pharmacy uh, because they actually can't leave their house? Who, who do you know who's in recovery or therapy who's had their sessions canceled. I mean, most of us aren't providing recovery or therapy, but what can you lean in and provide? I saw this beautiful newspaper article from the BBC uh, or post from, online from the BBC that said that Canadians are turning scaremongering into caremongering, and I love it. There was a story in the Welland Tribune this past week about some families in Welland, including Southridge families, who were putting rolls of toilet paper on the porches of their neighbors with a note that said, if you need anything, just be in touch. Let's support each other. How can we support each other? I think there's one more way that we can support each other. See, I just touched my face. Don't do it. Um, and it's this. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, don't judge or you too will be judged. We just need to acknowledge that we are all living through an unprecedented era of our lives. We've never experienced anything like this before. We don't know each other's stories fully. We don't know each other's circumstances. We don't know what each other are facing. We don't understand the depths of each other's emotional and mental and spiritual health. We don't understand each other's network of relationships. We don't understand each other's economic situation. We, there's lots that we don't fully understand about each other. And in this season, when we're all trying to make the very best decisions that we can make for us and the people that we love to get through this season and to survive intact, I think the last thing that we need is to have each other looking at each other and criticizing each other for the choices that we're making. 
I think we need to make choices in community. I need, think we need to support and encourage each other. I think we need to seek each other's wisdom and advice. I think we need to help each other avoid the, vi- the ditch of making decisions out of fear, but avoid the ditch of making decisions maybe out of too much faith. God will protect me. I, I think we need to help each other make good decisions, but I think we need to give each other a wide berth of grace to make the decisions that we feel like we need to make for our families at this time. At the end, end, end of the day, we need to lean into each other in this moment in love and do what Christ did to offer whatever we have of ourselves to each other, to fight against the powers of death in all of its forms and to be sources of life for each other. That's what God has done in Christ. It's what God is doing through the body of Christ, the church, right now. It's what God will do as Christ leads us into the future. So as it begins with God and flows through us and flows back to God, let's take a moment right now to pray together as a community for how we can participate in the loving self-giving of God and fight against the power of death to fight for life with and for each other.